Funding for the Hinckley Report and this podcast is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund and AARP Utah. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Lindsay Ertz, reporter with KSL-TV. Democratic Representative Angela Romero, minority leader in the Utah House of Representatives. And Republican Senator Mike McKell, representing Utah County and the Utah State Senate. Thank you for being with us this evening. A lot happening. We're about to get to the legislative session. Candidates are filing. So much is in the works right now in the state of Utah. I want to go through some of the races because we finally know who we will have a chance to vote for in this next election cycle. The deadline ended this past Monday, and now we have a full slate of candidates. So I want to talk about a couple of these races because the dynamics are already getting kind of hot. Lindsay, let's start with you for just a moment uh, on our Senate race. Of course, the Senator Mitt Romney not going to be running for this seat. Interesting names, and they're names we kind of know well. Yeah, well, uh, Representative John Curtis finally making it official that he was jumping into the race for Senate, which is significant because it sets off this cascade of shifting in Utah politics, right? He currently holds the seat in CD3, so that opens up along with this open Senate seat. Um, and I think when you look at this field of candidates, there are two candidates that stand out to me just as a casual and local political observer um, in uh, John Curtis and um, Brad Wilson, uh, former House Speaker. Those two, Brad's been in the race, excuse me, Mr. Wilson has been in the race for a really long time. Um, but as I had a chance to talk to Representative John Curtis, uh, as he decided to jump in the Senate race, you know, he told me it was really uh, an effort to take his platform to a larger stage. And, you know, he's been wishy-washy about this for a, a while, and he first said he would run, then he said he wouldn't, then he teased it again, and now he's finally getting in. Um, and we kind of talked about that. Is that whiplash to voters? And he just said, look, there was a lot of uh, pressure and a lot of... Um, uh, just there was a lot of uh, he had to make the decision yeah. quickly. Right. And so um, he, he finally said he kind of settled on it and um, he he took his time to uh, finally jump into yeah. that race. But I think for voters, it uh, was a little bit of whiplash. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Senator McKell, there yeah. are 11 Republicans, right. 11 Republicans. The ones we just talked about, uh, sort of the late entry, uh, the late entries was like Brent Orrin Hatch, for example, right. oldest right. son of the late Senator Orrin Hatch, uh, Mayor Trent Staggs. These are some names that are well known in political circles. Right. But talk about the dynamics when you have 11 them because that is a pretty hefty number. Well, I, and let me and let me just jump in with that. I, I think the field's going to be narrowed quickly. That is that is a large number, but if you look at the the candidates on top, the type of funding they're able to bring, the type of race they're they're able to bring, the race is going to come down to John Curtis and Brad Wilson. They both served in the state. They both have some name recognition. I, I recognize there's 11 candidates. They're going to go out. They're going to campaign hard. But at the end of the day, getting that message out, it's harder now than it's ever been to get that message out. It takes funding. I think you've got a uh, former. Speaker Wilson, who's well-funded. I think Congressman Curtis is well-funded. I think they've got a lot of name ID. And, and for, for me, uh, we can look at all 11 candidates, but I think it's going to come down to those, those two, two ultimately. 
I'm sorry, I'm just interested to see who backs them too, because with Brad Wilson jumping out so early, he got a lot of local political support, a lot of state lawmakers, yeah. uh, even the governor was backing him a touch. I'm interested to see if his mind changed, changes now that um, that John Curtis is officially in the race. Mm -hmm. Of course, our Democratic challenger, uh, Representative Brian King, let's talk about him because he's been in the House for a very long time. One of your colleagues, uh, Representative Romero, talk about that race because uh, we have the Democrats putting up, uh, 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 I'm talking about the governor's race, yeah. our, our, our right here. We, we have Democrats, uh, we have three Democrats, uh, Laird Hamblin, Carolyn Gleick, and Archie Williams III. These are the three I want to talk about because in the last election cycle, the Democrats did not put up a candidate for that race. For, we're talking about the Senate now, Yeah, right? talking about back to the Senate, right. yes, yeah. thanks. It'll be interesting. I, I know there are three candidates, and sometimes as a party, you don't choose the candidates, they choose yeah. you, as the Republicans are seeing with 11 candidates. And so it'll be really interesting to see. I want to go back to the Brad Wilson and, and John Curtis, though. Um, I think it was really interesting that we were hearing rumors that um, the congressman was going to jump in, and then there was a poll and yeah. put out to the community and he was beating Wilson at a you know a high number. I mean there was so it's really interesting yeah. when you have a speaker, a former speaker, and you had this with um, Speaker Greg Hughes, jumping at it to a congressional or a, a Senate level, yeah. and you're seeing they're not as popular maybe with the people as they thought they might be. Yeah, they have a lot of name ID when it comes to lo inside political circles, right? And they make a lot of decisions in the lawmaker or in in the. Uh, with legislation, but the name ID doesn't always translate to the general public, kind of like Representative yeah. Romero saying. Yeah. Uh, since I was so anxious to get to the governor's race, can we talk about that one? Because some other uh, big names, particularly some of the colleagues formerly in the legislature, running against uh, Governor Spencer Cox. Phil Lyman is, is filed and Carson Jorgensen. Senator McKell, talk about those those candidates right there, because this really changes, uh, maybe maybe not the winner necessarily, but right. maybe, and cer certainly uh, how we're going to divide up the interest. Yeah, so that that changes the, the race. Obviously, the caucus convention system is going to be important for those for those candidates. It's interesting. Um, Representative Lyman has been a guy who's opposed signatures from day one, and he's now gathering signatures. Yeah. I thought I thought that was interesting. I I, I, I kind of follow him on Twitter, and and there's a lot of inconsistencies with Representative Lyman that I that I think voters should should pay attention to. But but ultimately, I, the the race to me, I I, I think. If I'm handicapping it today, that that's a race for Governor Cox Cox to lose. He's got really, really broad, broad support. His favorability is high. I think it's an interesting race as it rolls out, but I don't think it'll be competitive like we'll see in the U.S. Senate race. And Phil Lyman has been in that race for a while, and then you saw Carson Jorgensen jump in, and, and in my mind, they occupy the same lane. So I'm interested <clears throat> to see who can out conservative well, <laughs> each we'll other. talk about that a second as it talks about the the conventions represented because we've talked about signatures a little bit sometimes you get a flavor for where people are based on whether or not mm -hmm. they decide to get signatures uh, the senators talked about uh, Phil Lyman getting signatures Carson Jorgensen decided not to again it just talks to you about whether we should have a caucus system or whether we shouldn't have a caucus system and we've seen the way in which we vote differently where it's ranked choice voting and at a local or, or a city level and um, we're looking at things at a national level the thing that interests me most about this race is brian king um, current representative brian king and representative phil lyman and just seeing how this plays out this legislative session mm -hmm. what kind of influence is the governor having right now with you from your seats in the legislature 
You know, I, I think the governor has, has been really good to work with the legislature, but I want to go back to something that Representative Romero has, has brought up, because I think it is interesting to see how their role as legislators with Representative King, Representative Lyman plays out. It's interesting to look at bill files that have been opened and some of the bill files that both of them have opened. Mm -hmm. And it, it one of the concerns I always have when legislators run, it seems like the, the, the legislature can be used as a platform to run legislation to help a campaign. And I think it's something we ought, we ought to keep an eye on. I I think I think they've I think both of both of those two candidates have opened a number of bills that feel uh, more political than normal and I, I think it's worth it worth paying attention but I think we politicized it a lot more by moving um, us registering to run for office to yeah, January yeah. Yeah. I think um, that was a fatal flaw from my perspective, because I think it's just made the legislature more political because the good speaker, who's a friend of mine, always talks about the Utah way and how we don't want to be like Washington, D.C., but I feel like we're heading in that direction. Every year, This the legislature gets more far right, and with us pushing that to January, you're just seeing people pull out these little um, rabbits from a hat. Mm -hmm. And it's frightening, actually. So, Lindsay, talk about this because it is an interesting dynamic at play. So now that they have to file before the legislative session starts, and what are you hearing from people and those that you are interviewing about? It might give an opportunity for someone to grandstand through legislation. Maybe not legislation would pass, but maybe gives them a platform they might not have been able to take. Well, keep in mind, they can't raise money while they're sitting, like during the legislative session. So uh, you can't kind of check it there. But like Senator McKell is saying, through the legislation they run and kind of the talking points they use, that is where yeah. we see kind of this messaging show up. And that was the point I was going to make, too, that uh, Representative Romero made, is just moving up that deadline. Now we know every single candidate who's up for re-election, sometimes you're sitting next to them in the chamber, mm -hmm. right? So your foe is sitting right there. And uh, it, it shouldn't, but it could change your vote, right? Mm -hmm. and, and just the moves you make now speak mm -hmm. to the elected official you will be mm -hmm. as opposed to the one that you currently mm -hmm. are. So interesting to see that dynamic at play. Uh, let's talk about a couple of these other races. Let's do the first congressional district for a moment. Uh, Congressman Blake Moore has two inter-party challenges yeah. for you, Senator, two inter-party challenges, a Democrat, Bill Campbell, Libertarian, Daniel Cottom. Uh, anything newsworthy yeah. in this race? I, I, Look, I, I don't think so. I think that's uh, Blake's race to lose. I think he's done a really good job. I think he, I, I, I watch his town halls. He does online. I think he does a terrific job. Represents the state well. I, I think for, for representative for Congressman Moore, it's it's don't make mistakes. I don't think he will. I think he's done a great job. He work he works great with the legislature. So I, that one doesn't concern me. I think that's his race to lose. An incumbency is hard to beat in general. Um, but I will point out that the Democrats are running someone in every single federal race. So clearly uh, that party sees, um, you know, that these seats are worth challenging, at least in, in some regard. Yeah, talk about the strategy, because it seems it is true. We have candidates, not a third party, this time Democrats all up and down. I mean, the it, we'll see how it plays out. But we have to go back to um, previous sessions where we did redistricting and the way um, our congressional boundaries are. It's nearly impossible for a Democrat to win. And so it'll be really interesting to see what happens with courts and just what happens um, when that decision's um, brought down. But I just really, it's really hard to recruit people to wear them for a congressional race because they feel like it's already been um, decided who's gonna win.
Uh, can we talk about the second district for a moment, Representative? So Celeste Malloy, been in for a very short amount of time, uh, has two inter-party challengers, Colby Jenkins and Ty Jensen. Uh, we may recall uh, Malloy won her election with 39% of the vote. This is the primary, and then she beat Becky, uh, that was Becky Edwards and Bruce Huff, but she won the general with 57%. Uh, she decided not to get signatures. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I can't predict his party, right. and their convention <laughs> is a little bit more wild than ours is. Yeah, and yeah. so it'll be interesting what kind of um, dynamics are at play, because it's, it's politics. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. the one thing I'd say with Celeste Malloy is she really worked hard with elected officials in all of the communities throughout that district. And I, I think she does have some stronger challengers. I think that race is certainly going to be closer than other races that we've talked about. But Celeste does have strong support from legislators, mayors, county commissioners. And, and ultimately, I think as you look at that convention race she, she slugged out before, part of the reason she won is because she went and got broad support from all the elected officials in all these small counties. I, I, I think Celeste comes out on top. I think that race is a little closer, but ultimately Celeste is going to win that race. She also won that rural vote at the convention as well. And when her and, forgive me, his name is slipping my mind. Bruce Jordan Huff. Hess, no, oh, Jordan, Jordan Hess, Hess. Jordan. Uh, solidified uh, yeah. at convention last year. Yeah. That really put her That's over right. the top. So it'll be interesting to see if rural Utah shows up again and who they coalesce behind. Mm -hmm. I just want to get to two more races before we stop. Yeah. Uh, the third district now open. Uh, so Senator, talk about this because, wow, you got some former yeah, gonna, former friends. On, former uh, friends. On this. Oh, we're all still friends. But let's talk right. about a couple of these things. 11 Republicans in this yeah. particular race for this open seat. Some that we've seen in these right. before, Senator Mike Kennedy, Stuart Pay, the former Utah GOP chair, Rod Bird, the mayor of Roosevelt, Chris Herod is running for this race again, and interestingly, our auditor, uh, John Frugal Dougal. Yes, yes. Um, I, I, it's going to be an interesting race. I, I, I will say sometimes in, as, a, as a legislator, I think we overvalue our name ID. I think you've got a lot of candidates in that race with probably less name ID than they realize. It feels like uh, Senator Kennedy probably has the most name ID. I think that race probably, in, in my view, is going to come down to Mike Kennedy, John Dougal. I do think uh, Stuart Pay is a great candidate. It's interesting to see uh, Chris Herod again. I, I think it's it's interesting to see folks that run repeatedly, and I think y you see that in a lot of races, a lot of familiar, a lot of familiar faces, and, and that's one that's a familiar face, hasn't performed well in the past, and I, and I think that'll, I think that trend will likely continue. Mm -hmm. And Mike Kennedy's name ID largely comes from the legislation he ran, what was it, last year or two years ago on um, the transgender uh, surgery bills that he was the sponsor of. And uh, you saw him get a lot of recognition for good or for bad because of that legislation. And so do voters remember him for that? Is that uh, the thing that will decide whether or not they vote for him? Right. Uh, like you say, uh, John Dougal holds, held a holds a statewide office yeah. but is not running for re-election in that office, so will his name ID? help him there. Mm -hmm. We'll watch that one too. Uh, Glenn Wright is the Democrat uh, running there. And just one more thing, uh, Burgess Owens in the 4th District, unopposed in terms of his own party, uh, but there are two Democrats running for that. And again, race. that will be interesting to see. Um, it's unfortunate that he's basically going to win. Because, again, let's go back to redistricting and how those congressional um, lines were were um, divided and it, it cut Salt Lake City in four. And so it's really difficult for us to um, have someone run knowing that it's an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. And historically, that district has been uh, held by Democrats, right, in the past. Um, but 
like Representative Romero saying with redistricting, mm -hmm. it's hard to see how that happens again. Uh, in terms of legislation to the Attorney General's race, uh, Senator, Senator McHale, you've yeah. talked about this uh, quite a bit in the press. Are we going to see anything this session that might discuss about how we get uh, an Attorney General in the state of Utah? Yeah, and to be really clear, I think we should appoint the Attorney General. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think the Attorney General represents the client, the client's the state of Utah. Uh, I just, just yesterday or this morning, I, I know Robert Gerke at the Tribune ran, ran another story looked at some of the disclosures of current Attorney General Sean Reyes. I, just just things that are troubling, stuff that shouldn't happen. Um, we have an audit right now. I don't want to get in front of the audit. Mm -hmm. Uh, audits oftentimes will include recommendations. I want to see those recommendations before I move forward with with legislation. It's something that, that I'm considering. I, I want to have a bill file, but it, it'll take a lot of work. This has been discussed in the past. There was a Constitutional Review Commission. They went statewide. It'll take, it'll take a lot of work to get voters, voters on board. But before we get ahead of ourselves, I, I want to see that audit and the recommendations from legislative so auditors. So as a journalist, I'm jumping in. Are you <laughs> running that this session? I, I, I'm not going to run it before I get the audit results. But I also want to jump in here, too, and talk about when Jan Graham was mm -hmm. the attorney, attorney general. general. We didn't have the issues that we've had with the past um, three attorney generals from the Republican Party. It's, well, interesting to see, it's interesting to see that office and the history of it, yeah, right, it where, where you have uh, three scandals in a row, uh, for lack of a better word, um, and kind of how that shapes who gets elected mm -hmm. to that office next. You know, I, I've done a little bit of coverage in terms of uh, what is it about that office that, uh, you know, lends itself to corruption uh, or alleged corruption. And... Um, and some of the political experts I talked to, they kind of boiled it down to people seeking office who want notoriety and the power that mm -hmm. being the state's attorney yields and just kind of the combination of, of those two things. Mm -hmm. I, well, and one word I would use, Lindsay, you said there's not really a word for it. One word I would use, indefensible. Some of the things that have happened, it, 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 it's indefensible. They shouldn't, they shouldn't have happened the way they did. And that's why, for, for me... Uh, I, I like the idea of appointing the attorney general. I know there, there are a lot of folks that have concern with that. It's not perfect, but I, for me, it's a much better solution than what we've what we've seen in recent history. Okay. Uh, one more race that touches the legislature because it's so interesting these yeah. dynamics. This is the state senate 24. This is Senator Kurt Bramble yeah. uh, running again, but three Republican challengers, and they've all served in the legislature in the past: Brad Dodd, Dan Hembert, and Kevin Stratton. Do you want to talk about that one first, Senator? Gosh, I don't know if I do want to talk about that. You know, <laughs> I've, I've, you know. I've served. I've served with all of all of those 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 legislators. They're fine people. I wish them the best. How's that? That's <laughs> that's that's very nice. It's an interesting dynamic, right, Representative? It's, it's a very interesting dynamic because if anyone watches the Senate and they know the Senate in the in the state legislature, Kurt Bramble is a force, mm -hmm. and so um, usually he intimidates people. And so I was really. Um, my eyes opened really wide when I saw all those names running against him, and it was like, will this be the downfall of Kurt Bramble, or will he persevere? So just from the outside looking in, I don't have, I haven't done any reporting on this race yet, but I just want to know what is the, the effort to challenge that seat? What is it about Senator Bramble? Is it the industry piece? Is it some of the votes he's taken? Why is that seat and him so vulnerable? Or is it because he's been there a gazillion years? Hey, let me just, I, I will say this. Let me just throw in a constitutional reference. All political power is inherent in the people. 
Um, Angela represents a good group of people in, in a district that she represents. I represent good people. These seats don't belong to us. I always cringe when I hear a legislator or a member of Congress use the word my seat. These seats don't belong to us. It's okay that we have challengers. It's okay that Senator Bramble has challengers. It, it, these are interesting candidates. They're interesting men in the race that we've had a chance to serve with. But ultimately, that seat belongs to the people of Senate District 24, and, and, they, and they get to make that decision. And, and I, I think that's the important dynamic. And let's let's let them let's let them decide. It's going to be it'll be fun to watch. It's far more interesting than than a lot of the races we're going to have in the state. But but let's not forget who these seats belong to, and they belong to the people. And 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 it's probably healthy to have have races like that. Mm -hmm. I, I want to talk for just a moment about this announcement yesterday from our First Lady, uh, Abby Cox, uh, and Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson. Right. Uh, I know you all were watching this, but it's interesting. They came out. There's a, there's a press event where they officially endorsed Nikki Haley for President of the United States. This is so interesting, and I'm sure uh, Senator McHale is going to speak to this because he was there and he's yeah. leading the charge. First of all, I'll point out that mm. so many lawmakers in Utah were behind Governor Ron DeSantis uh, months and months ago. And they were ago. standing behind him yeah. when he talked about... Literally standing behind yes. him, right. And so uh, now there's this kind of group coming out pushing for Nikki Haley, so I'll point that out. Um, the other thing that's really interesting to me to see Abby Cox come out and get involved in politics, mostly because, just speaking generally, you don't typically see first ladies, first gentlemen weigh into the political sphere. They often let their spouse handle that. Um, and so... I'm interested in what what the decision making there was, and maybe Senator yeah. McHale can speak to it, and why she felt the need to come out and support Nikki Haley. Well, I mean, the decision is clear, and and, and I'm going to I'm not going to give a stump speech, but Americans have a choice to make. And the choice, do we want drama in D.C. or do we want to move past that drama? And I'm excited to be part of the leadership team for Nikki Haley. I, I am really grateful that the First Lady, uh, Deidre Henderson, and others joined join this team because America needs, needs a generational leader. I'm excited about Nikki Haley. I, I, I didn't join this team because I want to fight against other candidates. I, we've got a candidate that we want to, we want to see elected. Uh, things are going to get interesting on Monday in Iowa. Looking at the yeah, temperatures the there, I wouldn't want to go to their caucus. It's supposed to be 40 below with the wind chill, and then New Hampshire, then South Carolina. But uh, America needs a strong leader right now, and I, I think it's exciting. So. Well, and I'll say America does have a strong leader because you look at um, Ron DeSantis and you look at Nikki Haley and you look at slavery, and both of them can't answer questions about slavery and the history of our country. We can't forget what happened here, because if we dismiss the past and we change the past, then um, we don't, we're gonna continue to make those um, same mistakes. And I wanna point out to people, people always make fun of our current president here in Utah, my colleagues, I always talk about him, but this is a man who has knowledge. This, he served in the Senate, he was a vice president, and now he's the president. And so I don't want people to undermine the skill set he brings to the presidency. Also point out what the national polling is showing just in terms of um, the uh, uh, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Uh, when Nikki Haley goes head to head with President Biden, she has a chance. Mm -hmm. Ron DeSantis, maybe not so much when it's President Trump and President Biden, maybe not so much. And perhaps Utah's leaders are realizing that if we're going to have a candidate that 
has a chance against right, President right. Biden, then it needs to be Nikki Haley. Well, in a Wall Street Journal poll just recently showed head-to-head, -head, Nikki Haley beats Biden by 17 percent. That's a substantial margin. Um, I, I love my colleague, um, Representative Romero, but this is where we'll, we'll just have to disagree. And, the polls and change overnight. They do so change overnight. So we can have a poll saying someone's leading by 20 percent, and polls don't always get it right. And I think the American yeah. people are tired of all this rhetoric, and I predict Biden will win. Uh, one more issue that we have to get to because it's high on the legislative priority list. Bills have started to come out, yeah. and there, uh, a pretty controversial bill just landed this week. Let's talk about for a moment the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion. Representative, start with you. I, I know the bill's out. It's being circulated. People are still trying to figure out what exactly it does. Primary aims are eliminating diversity statements, uh, in hiring, firing, recruitment, et cetera, for institutions of higher education and public education, and also eliminating DEI. Offices. And also, we're looking at um, state and county and local agencies. I haven't had a chance to go thoroughly over the bill because my Republican colleagues have, but we haven't. I got a, a glimpse of it the other day, but, I, um, but then it was actually put out. But what, what I want to tell people is DEI is not this um, monster or this boogeyman that people are putting out there. I'm a product of DEI, and so is Senator Escamilla. So I take great offense when my colleagues talk about DEI, and the governor in particular talking about it, borderlining evil, and I, the speaker saying it's divisive. And so I, I put it out there to both of them. How is my existence divisive? How is the air I breathe divisive? How is it my opinions divisive? Because what I'm seeing when we talk about the Utah way, where we talk about we all get along, yeah, we're a super majority and there's a small minority, but anytime people disagree with certain individuals, we're being divisive. And so what I'm seeing here and the rhetoric I'm seeing at the um, legislative level, and I think this has come from the national level, is we're trying to erase people. We're, you know, first we start with transgender youth, then we start with our LGBT community, and now it's communities of color. And for me, it's frustrating because I personalize it. And people say, well, why personalize it? I go, because you're not me. Mm. You didn't grow up like I did here in the state and face the barriers I did. And because of DEI programs, I'm here now, the minority leader of the House Democrats. Mm. In our last 30 seconds, uh, where you see this bill going uh, in this first week of the session? I, I think it's too early too early to know, and I hope we turn the temperature down on Capitol Hill. I hope we show some compassion with the issue. Uh, my understanding is we want to provide opportunity for all students, and I think that I think that's the driving driving force is to provide uh, opportunity across across the board. It, it's too early to, it's too early to know. I think that bill is going to originate in the House. We'll, we'll wait and see where, where where it goes. Yeah, we have to lower the temperature and find out what DEI offices actually do. Okay. This one we'll be talking about more on the show and in public. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.